Welcome to Who Knows Real Estate, Episode 5, Working with a Commercial Real Estate Broker. I'm Kevin. And I'm Jim. And in this episode, one of Charlotte's top brokers, Matt Hagler, shares his insights into the local market, how to identify trends, and how to build relationships with a commercial broker, as well as a really easy way to get pocket listings. Here it is. Today, we're welcome to have Matt Hagler with Keller Williams Commercial. It's an honor to have him, a long time that I've known him, and uh, happy to have you here. Uh, thank you for having me today. It's, uh, it's kind of full circle. We, we, we met when you came into town, and I think Al Mike's yeah. was the spot we went to, and I'm glad it's still open and alive. Yeah, that's one of my favorites in town. I'm yet to take Jim there, but uh, I've told him that it, he's moving into the first war, or he just moved into the fourth war. Yeah, all right. So he's about to learn a lot about it. Maybe we'll do that at about lunchtime. Perfect. Sounds good. Perfect. All right. Perfect. Would you mind telling folks a little bit about your background and what you're up to at uh, Keller Williams? Sure, sure. Uh, Keller Williams Commercial, uh, it's one of the largest uh, commercial firms in North America. I think it's ranked right now 17th out of all the uh, major commercial firms. Uh, and I happen to be out of the Ballantyne office, which is uh, out of the 790 different franchises. Our franchise is the number one franchise uh, in all of the Keller Williams system um, as far as profit goes, which is the, the main one. That you <laughs> yeah, want. yeah, yeah. You can, you can be the fastest growing or the you know the uh, the biggest one. We have the most expenses. The most expenses. We just want to uh, hone in on profit. So uh, I've been involved in commercial real estate since 2000. And uh, I got lucky enough to start a McKee Realty Company. Uh, they bought me in from a previous sales job that I was happily staying at, but they were like, oh, come on, go to commercial real estate. And I was like, I love real estate. And so it just intrigued me. And as I learned more about it, uh, Bill McKee, the owner there, one of the smartest guys in town, was able to bring me in. And, and I worked there for about three years. And from there, I've, uh, I went straight to one of my clients, which was Keller Williams at the time. And they didn't have commercial at all. So uh, I was like, well, they don't have commercial, but... They have a ton of agents and they need some leadership. So we were able to become a partner with them. And then certainly we just, uh, we've been growing it ever since. So, and my background is a general broker, not, uh, I mean, some people specialize just in restaurants or hotels. I'm uh, just a complete generalist because we have so many agents across the country that have so many different questions. I would, uh, I'd be able to help more as a generalist. Yeah, and that's perfect for us because we got a lot of questions. All right, all right. We expect uh, if we I expect can... the detailed answers on. Yeah, I'll, I'll just scratch the surface anyway. <laughs> Do you, uh, can we get into a little bit about where you feel the market cycles at currently, and and what your general feel is for it? Sure, sure. I, I love that question because if if you ask you know the top people in the world, they they all kind of give you the the same you know little you know they're where they think it is, and and I don't think. The last last uh, group that I was listening to talk to so that we thought it would already gone down by now. So really, we just got to be honest and say we have no idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which I think is the real answer. Yeah. Uh, where do I feel it is today? I feel like you know, we're very strong right now. Uh, things are going great uh, in the office warehouse is is doing fantastic. You know, multifamily has always been very solid in this particular area uh, you know, since before the downturn. Uh, where we're right now, I feel like we got uh, probably eighteen to twenty four months of continued strong growth. If you look at the stuff that's under construction, I mean, there's a ton of um, industrial and flex under construction that I think 90% of it looks like it's speculative. Like, I mean, that's what the market's telling you from the people who, who have all their you know, money at risk. You know, this is where we think it's going and we think it's growing. So that continues to, to look positive from my standpoint. Yeah. Housing, of course, speaks for itself. I mean, you guys know what it's like. You guys have had your guest here and Try to find a hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollar house in this area without having to make eleven offers. You know, eleven <laughs> offers yeah. in the first five minutes. Right. 
So it's just incredibly hot as well. Right. And what about the push on the cap rates right now? Yeah, you know, retail is still very strong. I think we closed one just about a year ago that, you know, was the lowest one I ever closed. I think it was 4.25 on Albemarle Road, of all places. It's the second strongest franchise of that type. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, which one it was. Sure, yeah, yeah. It was just just a Chick-fil-A. Okay. Over five more, it's the second uh, most profitable Chick Fil A in Charlotte, not behind the University office. Which, if you've been to Park Road and you see how 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 that one has you know got a line you know, up to almost to the next oh, intersection, it blocks traffic. Yeah, it's you would like... think that's got to be the most profitable one, but but uh, anyway. So so cap rates uh, for retail seem to be very stable and tight right now. You know, probably close to five cap on most uh, national retail type, uh, somewhere in there five and a half, uh, sub six. Um, which is, is really, I mean, that's when it's getting pretty tight. It's right. really, really, really tight. Industrial, you're seeing, you know, six caps, which I think is pretty tight as well. Um, that's been fairly stable there. I don't see that going anywhere for the next, you know, year anyway. Uh, so hopefully that continues the same. Office, uh, you're looking at, I believe, um, you know, five and a half, six caps there. Uh, depend upon A, B, or C class, of course. Right, right. Uh, depending, is it brand new construction? Is it, you know, 30-year-old in an A location, but 30-year-old building, uh, things like that make, you know, kind of describe what your A and C, you know, B and C class are. Does that teeter up and down if you're, you know, within the urban area versus the suburban area? Does it go up a little bit in the suburban area? Because it does. Okay. Uh, it does. For Take office, for example. It's, it's a little bit tighter market uptown. So you're, you're going to have a higher cap rate. Your more national tenants are going to be probably uptown. But, you know, with all the banking we have here, obviously... Charlotte, with what's going on with BB&T merger, we're really securing ourselves as, as the, the solid number two in the U.S. for, for banking headquarters. So that's obviously going to help. Even if you know things went haywire and all the banks left town, we would still have a, a, a trail of probably another decade left of vendors that would service banks. Right, they're, they're, fintech. And- yeah, they're staying here. They'll be here forever. So I'm not worried about the stability of Uptown because of too many banks because it's, it's more and more national headquarters for 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 banks and a better cost of living yeah yeah i mean and it's creating its own demand for you know other companies you got honeywell coming here right now exactly um several others so yeah, atlanta's a little bit mad at us probably right now but <laughs> that's okay <laughs> they got plenty of others they've got plenty of others plenty of others <laughs> they need to get some of that traffic off the road anyway yeah they will help them out a little bit <laughs> <laughs> What upcoming opportunities do you see in across the different asset classes? Do you see any being stronger in the next couple of years than others, or what do you see? Yeah, I've, I've seen with uh, the affordability of houses right now, as many people can buy houses again, I guess the multifamily market is still very stable. I don't see the growth that we've had there uh, quite as much. Uh, I see more growth right now in the industrial area, which has been kind of, uh, in my opinion, a little bit forgotten about for, for a period of time where it was just, it was there, it was always stable. But now it's the the rents are really increasing. The there's not as much inventory out there. I can't, I can't remember the, the amount of square footage. It was shocking, and uh, I think they have like seven million square feet under construction right now for for warehouse. Ninety uh, percent of that I think is speculative. So if you look at office, uh, if we have like four million square feet under construction right now, about half of that is all is right build to suit. So half of that speculative, not ninety percent. Okay. So the only the only group that I ever saw do that much a speculative build was Ballantyne. And of course, they they sold because they were you know able to pull off what everything that they they built was occupied very quickly. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's an interesting. I don't want to get too local, but that's a very interesting yeah. situation that they've got down there. That is, yeah. Well, we've got you know what 
Fortune 500 companies there. So it's it, it's local here, but it's it's got a, a much broader reach. Right. For sure. So the, as far as um, you know, what what I think is a good focus right now, I believe that 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 is one of the ones that I would probably focus on right now. Uh, for a small investor like me, you know, buying a 10,000 square foot triple net deal, it's long terms. You got five and ten year leases. You don't have to, to worry about the maintenance on the building. You just have to make sure you've got the the right lease in place, the right attorney to review it, and the right group to put the deal together. Right. So, I mean, that, that's where I would probably focus right now if, I, if I'm being asked where I'm going to put my money. I think everybody should be involved in, in real estate in some capacity, whether you can do it as an individual or you know, bring some folks together. I think it's just a good way to, to build wealth, and that's kind of a hot spot right now, I think. When you're looking at like a triple net, triple net lease deal uh, with a warehouse that's smaller, how do you underwrite the quality of the tenant if it's a single tenant? warehouse sure sure i mean it's just just like you would for anything else it's it comes down to common sense in a lot of ways i mean you, you look at their books and, and see how profitable they are what um i always have i feel like my strength is knowing a lot of other people to help me along the way yeah, yeah. so i always have a, a good cpa that's you know, able to advise me a good commercial banker a really good attorney to go along with it people make me laugh sometimes they's like oh yeah my you know next door neighbor's an attorney i'll just use him and he's a divorce attorney. <laughs> and you're like, this guy has no idea what he's doing. It, it kind of makes you wary of working with people like that. And you should be wary of working with people like that. But so, yeah, just putting the deal together, the common sense stuff, how long they've been in business. You check them out online. How, you know, what ratings do they have for whatever specific right. business they're in? Do a credit check. Uh, I usually go uh, without doing the credit check, but I'll, I'll have other people along the line give me their their references and so forth and i do check those so that's kind of what i like to do yeah i mean you're essentially doing what the bank does yeah coming through their financials making sure that you know they're profitable yeah, yeah if you don't have that and uh and again a good product i mean you don't want to i hate to say it, this is terrible to say but you know sometimes when you're dealing with a building and the best tenant you can get is is uh doesn't produce anything like a church for example yeah then that's a kind of a that you know where that building is in the cycle, uh, that it's it's going downhill, that you can't necessarily find a tenant that, to make that usable. A good example would be a, a building that was built to say in Noda that had a 12 or 14 foot ceiling height. That's just not very usable today. You want to get something that you know has a 16, 18, 20 foot ceiling height where uh, a business could come in there, an industrial business could could make full use of that facility uh, instead of uh, having to store stuff outside or, or whatever to. To make it to make it work, a lot of those buildings, though, right now, because it is no doubt, they have uh, come in and they have um, done site specific rehabilitation, like like twenty one hundred North, uh, North Davidson Street. So they took a you know, ten thousand square foot building, but an eight eight thousand square foot building, they they gutted them completely and they turned them into instead of two tenants, now we've got like eight tenants. Right. So that's part of the cycle. Part of the cycle. Yeah, that's interesting to hear that you can kind of scope the building itself on where the tenants are, what kind of tenants you're starting to accumulate. Yeah, and in the neighborhood. Yeah, how's the building doing? You got, got to check check the uh, viability of it by who's going to be able to use it. Right. Yeah. So you got to have, you got to have an idea of what's, what's going to be next for that building, too, if you're buying it. You know, if, who could backfill this space? I don't want to buy something that's too specific to one user uh, because then I, I'm going to have a hard time finding that special niche person to, to backfill the space. So something very generic, very beige is a better bet for me if I'm if I'm looking at it for my clients or myself. Yeah, so that kind of gets into what we want to talk about too, like trending yeah. a little bit. So if you start to see that happening, you know, 
not always, but typically if you've got a part of town, a lot of the buildings might be similar. So if you start to see certain amount of certain type of tenant come in, you might start to see more similar tenants coming into other buildings like that and change the scope of the, the neighborhood, good or bad. Good or bad. Yeah. You sometimes you have to look around the the other side of the neighborhood to see what's going to come your way. It's always going to be kind of in a path. You're gonna, you're you're looking to be in a path of growth and what's coming next. Uh, so you might the example I just gave is the certainly the easiest one where you you took a, a tenant who was paying two dollars and ninety five cents a square foot for the space because he's been there for fifteen years and the owners are you know now they're sixties they're ready to retire they're not really thinking much about it they're not paying much attention to it the money comes in every and they it's triple net so they really don't have to worry about the structure the, the tenant's paying the taxes it's really kind of forgotten about. Yeah. So then you get a, another group that's going to come in and, and they see development, you know, in, in the, you're in the path of growth. So they come in and say, look, I, the way the rents are right now, I think we can get probably you know, 12 to 16 bucks a square foot for what you're getting $2.95 for. And that that's the kind of deals you're looking for if you're looking for something like that, because it's trending towards being multi-tenant, probably like a like a WeWork type space right? or, or retail for Noda, uh, that, that type area. You got to be ahead of the curve. You got to be a little bit of a pioneer. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you're not going to get the, the returns you want if you're not a little bit of a pioneer, a little bit of a risk taker. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the walkability factor can really change the neighborhood and the rents and whatnot. Because you talk about Davidson, there wasn't much people, you know, walking through that area. Now you've got the Greenway, you've got a lot of more businesses that are more retail. So you're adding walkability. And then you, you think about light rail down mm-hmm. on the south end That's right. and that that walkway greenway along it. I mean, that's like the most traveled piece of real estate. It's surprising. If you haven't been to a, an area like that, you got to just get out there and see the, 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 the vibrancy that, that's now existing. It took, you know, 15 years to happen. So you can't come to uh, a new area where light rail is just started and expect the exact same thing now. But you, you do have to plan for the future of that. Yeah. Uh, we've got a few properties like that that we've worked on recently. We had seven acres that sold about a year ago uh, on light rail on North Trine Street that's going to be used for affordable housing uh, and it's right at the light at intersection. But this was, you know, we, we got in two years before that to help guide the, the sellers to put them where they needed to be to, to profit the most. So you have to have to look ahead and see what's, see what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It does take time and it did take a long time in South End, but we did go through a yeah. pretty decent recession <laughs> during all that. We too, did, so but that was the it's time. hard to, it's hard to say how long it could have taken in a good economy, right? <laughs> yeah. There's no way to really know, but it, once you have that that kind of uh, infrastructure being put in, there's always the naysayers, you know, oh, not in my backyard, I don't want that. But it benefits them so much. So it, it, you got to kind of chuckle as you hear them say, no, not in my backyard, while their property values are increasing. Yeah. They're benefiting from it, whether they like it or not. Well, their, their life's getting easier, too. They've got mm-hmm. things moving towards them that just make their life a lot easier. Yeah. And if they don't like easier, then, I mean, you can't stop that. It's not going <laughs> to... You just got to relocate. Yeah, you always have to be positive. There's always a uh, there's always a silver lining. You just got to find it. Right. I agree with that for sure. I know you do. You're always positive about stuff. Ever since I've met you, you're always seeing the seeing the upside. <laughs> you always catch me on a good day. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> <That's what I'm laughs> I'll call your wife and see what she says. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked a little bit about uh, trends and these opportunities. What advice would you have for folks that are trying to find deals, especially in today's market? Yeah, be patient. You can't just uh, jump into it. Uh, if you do, that's where you get hurt. Um, yeah. People want to, to force deals to happen. And if a deal's um, got too too many issues with it and, and you try to make it work anyway, the only way you're not going to lose money is for if you're buying it with other people's money. Yeah. And and don't be too eager to uh, to push into it. 
you got to make more than one offer before you end up on the deal that you're looking for. You think it's as easy as you, you know, you, you pull up to a, a spot and you, you say, this is it. And you write a contract and it's over. It's nothing like that. It's, it's so much more work. And for someone starting out, I guess I would suggest start small. Don't be in a rush. See what others have done. And just know that you're going to make mistakes. There's, yeah. there's no way that you're not going to make mistakes. I mean, I've, I've seen people that have you know, decades of experience make mistakes. You never hear about when you're looking at someone who's very successful or someone you perceive to be very successful. You don't, you don't open up with your failures. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. Uh, you know, one of my mentors has done about everything you could possibly do in real estate. And uh, when I first met him, he, I never heard anything about the mistakes. Uh, but the more I got to know him, he would share some of them and why and how to protect yourself from them. So that's another thing. Mentors are, are a huge thing. If you're going to get started in real estate, you know, you're not, not going to be able to do it on your own. First, you have to get past the mental block of uh, the first one, of course. The first one's always the hardest one. Uh, you hear that a lot in, in real estate, but it really is true. You just got to take the risk and do one. Uh, and then once you've done one, uh, slow, go into the second one and, and then make a goal. Uh, John Hatcher was uh, someone that I knew here locally, and, and he didn't know me from Adam's house cat. But he sat me down and, and said, Matthew, uh, and if you know John, he's got an accent. Matthews, I want you to do one thing for me. And then he said, I want you to... Uh, invest in one property a year, and that will change your life. And that it really, it really can change your life if you if you, if you take that advice and, and set Absolutely. a goal. And it doesn't have to be you know the same kind of real estate. Although I think it should be starting out. You need to focus on whatever that is. If you're going to get into real estate for say flex space, then just focus on your flex space until you're comfortable that you don't need to stand on the shoulders of others to to do it alone. And then you go into you know maybe it's straight into warehouse from there. Maybe it's a little bit of retail. I like a mixed bag myself, but I certainly didn't start out with, you know, just getting one of each flavor. Right. Uh, as a generalist, I have a better overview of that, but uh, everyone's always more, always more successful when you um, focus on a niche. Oh, absolutely. It's just easier. I mean, you get yeah. to know it as an expert, you know? That's right. That's right. You become the, you become the expert that you were seeking uh, the expertise advice of others previously. Now you've, you've, you know, you've earned that, that right to be the expert. Yeah. You, you spoke you know, the start of this topic about folks that jump in and make mistakes. You have any examples you can talk about? I mean, I got plenty myself and, and folks more recently that I've, I've just seen some, some bad mistakes made from jumping in and just, Hey, wanting to do it. Yeah. Uh, there was a, a, a gentleman came up from Florida and he was, um, insurance guy did, um, a reclamation type insurance, uh, made really good money, and he came in and said, "Multifamily is really hot in your market. Can you, you know, show me where there is some?" And I was like, "All right, A, B, or C." He's like, "I want D class." I'm like, "Well, okay, I'll show you some C and Ds." <laughs> and he came in, and and uh, it was off Freedom. What was the other street? Glenwood Avenue. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, yeah, really, kind of a risky area, to say the least. And uh, so we bought like a 34 unit apartment complex, and then he proceeded to put them in. Uh, First class condition, class A. I mean, yeah. granite countertops and you know, brand new light fixtures, stuff that you I wouldn't put in my own house. I'm like, That's too nice, you know. How can you do that? Yeah. Uh, and he's like, I just, you know, I really want the people to know that I, I care for them. I want them to stay, be long term tenants. I'm like, that's great, but they don't have any experience with this yet. You're you're really going to put them in shock because they have the the very base uh, necessities now. Yeah. Uh, I think half of it was actually vacant because they were in such bad condition. It was over half vacant. But anyway, he came and did a first class job against my advice and said, hey, I'm, I'm used to dealing with this you know, group down in, in Florida that, that's even rougher than this group for sure. It's like, all right, well then, if you know what you're doing, go for it. They ended up using every rule that they could that 
they manipulated to their advantage to not pay rent to oh yeah, yeah they're yeah. professionals oh they they were professionals they really worked the system which I hate to say it but that's what the, that's what happened in his particular situation yeah uh, they went from you know three hundred dollar rents to six hundred dollar rents they completely retended everything but even at six hundred dollars I think back then that was you know maybe a decade ago that was that was the market for that particular area and uh, for you know, for one bedroom two bedroom maybe seven fifty or something like that. Was that just north of 85? It's right off 85. Yeah, I think I remember that property. Uh, that was a rough one. Uh, and it's rough again. But uh, So that was a mistake he made. He didn't listen to others. He went, you know, what he should have done was just put in uh, just what was needed. Bit, yeah, keep... Keep it simple. Right. And he went way beyond simple. So, yes, he lost uh, everything. He actually went to foreclosure for, for the two properties that we sold to him. Or three, actually. Three properties that we sold to him. And they were all in that general area. Yeah, I've seen guys syndicate these apartment deals... And the guys that do a good job do just what you're talking about. They go in, buy a property that, you know, for the most part got decent vacancy, really good vacancy, and they don't go in and try and redo the whole system. They just go in and as folks move out, they upgrade them, you know, moderately and just you know, raise the yeah, rent one slowly. At a time. Yeah, one at a time. And if slowly. the first one you don't get the rent increase, then you stop and you readjust. Right. Yeah, you rethink the plan. But yeah, you do it slowly and and you don't want to try and take it from a C to an A. You just want to, you know, keep people happy, raise the rent slowly and, and and go about it that route. So that's great advice. Just always do the right thing and slow and steady wins the race. It really does. Yeah. I've seen other guys buy apartment complexes and do just what you're talking about and they took it from 45% occupancy to 95% occupancy within the same year and just crush it. And mm. just because they did it the right way. Uh, by using the experience that they had and not trying to overdo it. Yeah. And, uh, and then they take that one asset and they, they basically refinance that, take all the money out of that, and then go to the next one. And then the next one. Yeah, that's how you do it. So that's how, that's, uh, I've seen great success stories with, with groups doing that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's the rookie mistake is always people go in and just want to overdo it. Like, well, I want to make it so I could live in here. Okay, well, are you? Yeah. If you're not. <laughs> <laughs> then, then don't do that. Yeah. It's, uh, you always want to be as as nice as you can to, to each one of your tenants, but eventually it has to be less and less personal and more you know, have a manager in between you. And, and yep. you know, there's, cause it's easy to, to want to do too much, but still you have to, if you're going to be refinancing and pulling that money out and going to the next one, you can't keep pouring it into the, to the original one. So do you see guys that could have had an opportunity and then they're messing around with like, I just ran into this the other day. I, I there was an opportunity where a, a guy could have got in on an investment I was doing. It was a new construction. And uh, he said he was interested and interested and then like come down to, to doing the deal. He's like, oh, I just, we're, we're opening up a restaurant <laughs> and we, we went over a half million dollars over budget and we've got to pay it all in cash. And I'm like, so let me get this straight. You're going to spend a half million extra over budget in a restaurant in cash versus something that I was going to, you know, potentially make you 20% on. So it's, do you see stuff like that? Yeah, I see that a good bit. Uh, I think a lot of people have good intentions, uh, but then they don't quite ever really want to take the risk. Not everybody's a risk taker. I mean, some people are happier uh, working uh, at a nine to five job where they go in every day and that's, that's, they know what their outcome is going to be no matter what. Uh, I think in real estate, you definitely have to be riskier. You don't want to be a cowboy. Uh, you don't want to go out there and just kind of, you know, Guns boys, shoot, shoot, shoot from the hip. <laughs> you got to really do your your homework, but uh, you can't just go in there and expect everything to work out. I think that's one of the bigger mistakes that people make is is either they they um, put their trust in the wrong area, 
they, they don't want to lose face, uh, but at the same time, they're not involved or knowledgeable enough to, to get in, into deals with you. So I, I think it's a shame, but when people, if they're not directly involved in the deal, then maybe they shouldn't actually be in the deal. So the guy who, who spent an extra half million dollars, I think he was probably too hands-off to, to, yeah. to know where his money was going. Yeah. And, and I think that's a big mistake in real estate. You have to be so hands-on in real estate. It, it can't be, hey, I just, I'm going to give Johnny my money and he's going to make 20% on it. You got to understand what's going on, where what the money's being used for, what the goal is, what's the end game. You know, yeah. is it a is it a flip? Or are you putting money in the long term? Do you want to hold it forever? Uh, is it something that you want to see appreciate because it's in the path of growth? Uh, you gotta you gotta have a backup plan. You know, if that if this tenant leaves, then who's going to backfill that space? Yeah, how are you going to pivot? Yeah. What are my exit strategies? Yeah, exactly. But but people come into deals and and uh, they have opportunities with people with good experience like yourself, but they they don't really quite have their 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 act together enough to even get out of their own way. So, yeah, yeah. So you got to do your homework. And you mentioned it earlier, I think, before we started recording about how you've got a great network of folks that you can rely on and trust on to ask questions to. And I feel like some of these people are just out in their other endeavors that they're investing in and don't don't use any of their network or don't have a network of folks to ask, you know, oh, I need an extra half million for this project. Do you ever stop to think, like, should I ask somebody if this is a good idea? (laughs) Should I look and see, like, where this money's going? Like, what? Yeah, so... Yeah, you to can, your point, having a network of folks you can ask is, is just critical. Yeah, if I didn't have that, I don't know where I would be. I, I have a lot of great uh, mentors and friends and advisors that I've built for the past 20 years. And at every turn, uh, I feel like it's just good to have folks you can bounce ideas off of, uh, shoot holes in it, try and figure yeah. out where you can you know go wrong. If, if, you know, if the bottom falls out, what are you going to do? One of my hardest lessons in, in real estate that I paid a lot for, <laughs> you pay for your education, you really do, was that many times you don't want to get involved in the deal if you can't carry it by yourself. You yeah. can have some great friends, advisors, not in my case, but you know, family, they come in and they all want to get on this deal. It seems great on the, on the surface, but everyone's just you know, kind of high on life instead of high on the deal. Uh, everybody just wants to, they see that potential return, but how, what's it going to take to get there? And then they, they put money into it and then and they just let it go away. And it's like a, it's like an ice cube. It just sit there and melts in your hand if you're not, if you're not careful. You know, if you're put in the freezer and tend, you can look at it there. You don't have to sit there and hold it in your hand and watch it melt away. It's just, uh, it's sad to see. But so I guess my biggest takeaway from uh, the last downturn for me was if you can't carry it by yourself, then don't do the deal. Uh, if if you think that your partners would would fold on you, so yeah. you got to have really solid solid folks that are go to the extra mile with you. Or uh, you're you're better off being uh, 100% partner with yourself yeah. uh, than others. So uh, I personally believe in, in in working with others, and, and you know you do one deal with them. If that one works out, then you go to the next one. And you continue to expand that. If it doesn't work out, then you you go down a different path. Let them go your, their way. You go yours, uh, and and don't go you know scorched earth over it. Their deals work out, and deals don't work out. If if you could have changed the outcome, then you can't blame anybody else. Right. So you've always got to take your own responsibility for deals. Uh, you can't put it on one person's shoulders and expect the whole thing just to work out fantastically. You got to participate. Everyone in a deal should bring something to the table, uh, whether it's your experience in, in um, residential purchases or whether it's you know, if they've got a, maybe it's an attorney or an architect or a contractor. You want to bring people together who can bring something to the deal. Just bringing money to the deal isn't always the best thing. Yeah, and people pay way too much. For that. I mean, people give up way too much for that guy a lot of times. Yeah. See that all the time. Yeah, a little bit too much. A little bit too much. So 
that was my, my hard knock in the downturn was you got to be able to depend on the others. And if they walk away, then you're still on the line. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about some of the investors who were successful during the downturn? Like what separated them like looking back versus the other people who were maybe a little too aggressive too late? Well, I think some people just, uh, quite frankly, gave up because I think lenders were willing to work with you. But then the other lenders were were taken away. So there was there's you got both sides of the coin there. You know, some some of the properties were just taken away, and you were making your payments. There's nothing that you could have done any different. You made every single payment. And then there's others where you you, you were just too quick to walk away. So uh, that's that's a tough thing to answer because it every deal is so different. But you know you can't you can't give up. You have to always keep working. Whether it's that tenant is not quite paying enough. You know, sometimes you have to leverage other deals to keep another deal going. Uh, does, does, doesn't always, it's not a bed of roses. You have to, to figure it out as you go along in certain cases. And sometimes you got to know when to, when to cut and say, this is going to be a bad deal. It's, it, I could continue to put my money into it and it's still just going to go away. Yeah. So sometimes you just got to know when to, to say enough is enough and, and, you know, walk away from a deal. Yeah. Depending upon what you, you know, if you got your whole life to add to it, but that's part of having a good advisor is, is that you won't ever really put your entire life on the line for one deal never tie your own your, your personal residence up I'm, I'm a believer in paying off your your house if you can and then just leaving that alone never lever leveraging that you always have that and then there's other assets that you can easily le leverage to to get into other deals to save deals that they're going south is there anything you would do differently in preparation if you thought there's another maybe correction coming is there anything you do differently to prepare i, I think we all learned a, a lot in that we 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 just realized that it's it's the faucet that's running and things are going really well, it, it, one day it will cut off. I think we're all kind of cognizant of that now, that, that hey, this, is, this money flow isn't forever. Uh, what do you do when that, when that faucet does, does finally shut off and how do you prepare yourself? So you live within your means, uh, within the investments that you have. Uh, personally, you live within your means. Don't be extravagant if you can be. Uh, yes, it's good to get out and, and uh, enjoy yourself occasionally, but I mean, just the, you don't always have to live like you know, you're uh, I guess under the microscope of Facebook or whatever, that everything in your life is perfect. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, you know, nothing out there is perfect. So, uh, And then have some dry powder for, for when the deals do go south for everybody else. You know, as tragic as it is for the person who lost the deal, it's an opportunity for the next guy. So uh, I think you have to be ready to to step in and, and, and find the right deals and be patient uh, for when those deals, when when is the best time to buy that? I mean, we're, we had folks looking at deals, you know, they thought, okay, Oh, nine. Now is, is it time to buy now? Is it 2010? Is it time to buy now? 2011? Is it time to buy now? It's always the time to buy if the deal is right. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but you can't. You know, it's like t trying to time the stock market. You don't know when it's going to hit the peak and when it's going to hit the bottom. You just have to get the deal that's good for you. Um, but to answer your question directly, is just have some money set aside to to be able to capitalize on some of the deals that somebody else um, couldn't keep moving forward. So. Buy real estate when uh, when others uh, can't afford it. Buy it, buy it from you know the the banks or or, or yep. whatever insurance companies, wherever there's an opportunity. And you know, look at other alternative funding deals as well. Yeah, I like that. It's always a good time to buy real estate if the deal makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Whether it be a downturn or the hottest part of the market. Yeah, you can still get in there and get some real estate. Just don't put yourself in a bad situation. Always, always have an exit strategy. Yeah. Multiple if you can. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Be the Boy Scout. Always have a backup to the backup to the backup. <laughs> Don't be satisfied with just one, one way. But I, I, as, as we started earlier, I, uh, I mentioned one of my mentors, but another one uh, that got me into it uh, when I was asking the commercial real estate, 
I, I knew he was in it. Uh, he had a great uh, family. I, I loved uh, how they uh, you know, were able to to have their time together. The, the dad, you know, he was always the coach for every single sport that the kids were playing. He was always there, and he was able to do that because of the lifestyle that that real estate provides. Um, you know, you're able to work as hard as you want. You're able to pull back whenever you need to. And his name was Gary Workman, and uh, he pulled together. He had a great network, network of folks. He was uh, in charge of all the foreclosures at NCMB back in the 80s. And he went out on his own and started doing his own development. And uh, he had partnerships uh, that, that went really well. And one of his partners was Zan Law, and he knew the gentleman that I was going to work for. And I said, is this a good guy to work for? And, of course, Zan said yes, and, and uh, Gary uh, Workman set all that up. And I was able to go to Gary over the years and, and kind of critique deals, and he would shoot holes in them, and we'd talk about them, and uh, you know what particular moves I was going to make if I was leaving this company or going to that company. He was always there to, to talk to me about it. Uh, Gary just uh, passed away yesterday, but uh, you know I was able to spend some time with him, tell him what a difference he made in my life. So you always have to take the time to uh, to thank the people who who uh, who helped you get to where you are, and it just worked out that I was fortunate enough to be able to have that a little bit extra time with them to, to do that. So. Following in his footsteps, I've been able to spend a lot of time with my family as well. So that's uh, part of the reason I do what I do. Yeah, that's important. That's the most important. It is to me, yeah. And I, I get accused sometimes of spending too much time with my family, but I, I don't mind being guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's worse to be charged with. That's right? right. That's right. I'll be guilty of that one all the time. <laughs> Not bad. But mentors are so important. So if you don't have one, you're going to learn a lot harder not you're gonna you're gonna go down some bad roads and not realize that you're even going down the bad road until you're in the point where it's a dead end so so get the mentors out there um there's plenty of folks out there willing to willing to share their knowledge and uh, all you have to do is participate and uh, get to know them better so that's great advice yeah we talked about earlier a little bit about finding deals and i know a lot of commercial properties go through brokers do you have any advice on finding a great commercial broker to work with and then also how to build that relationship sure sure i would say don't, don't um, just go to the first person who just happens to have commercial real estate broker in their right. title uh there's there's folks who who uh, specialize in stuff i would say look at those folks who specialize if, if that's what you're looking for you know talk to several don't, don't just talk to one or two and uh, uh you know sometimes in, in life you you start out with one with one uh, group, and then you know, sometimes you migrate because they don't do what what maybe you're interested in next. So you have to be willing to to get to know other folks, other brokers as well. A good way to get to know them sometimes is through your your financial advisor. Uh, your financial advisor has probably worked with that person, knows that they're credible, uh, knows that they're going to do the right thing. Uh, your real estate attorney could also do the same thing if you don't have any connections with uh, with commercial brokers. Uh, your commercial real estate attorney is going to say, "Well, I've worked with this." this group for, for years and years and they're going to do a good job for you. So you always just want to make sure you're, you're going to get with somebody who's going to be honest and tell you the truth about the situation. As long as the deal comes first and whatever uh, income that that broker is going to get is second, I think that's when you really work with the right, right, right person or the right broker. Uh, too often times it's, 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 uh, it's about the money or about the competition of the deal internally or at their office. It really just needs to be about each individual deal that you're working on. If it's not, then I suggest you really reconsider who you're working with. Do you have any um, examples or advice for when when you know it's the wrong one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah if they don't return your calls within a week uh, or at least a, a day or so, then then yeah, you're with the wrong person as well. They're either, either totally uninterested in what you guys are working on together, or their their bandwidth is just way over overtaxed. 
So yeah, responsiveness is a big one. Yeah. And then just time to sit down and, and really discuss, you know, the deal itself and then what comes next. Uh, you, you know, there's always another deal. Uh, and I would also say, um, I don't know of one broker who just has one client. I'm sure they're out there. In fact, I think I might know one, uh, but it works for a billionaire overseas. Um, for the most part. It's a good client. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> uh, for the most part, it's, uh, you know, brokers have multiple clients and you can't always uh, be there for each one. So I, I think it's also incumbent not only for the broker to have a, uh, a good system to reach out and touch his clients, but occasionally for the clients to reach out and just say, hey, yeah. how's the market? What are you seeing? Just uh, uh, open conversation. Uh, what, what's the, the best deals you got going right now? You know, or what do you suggest I look at? Uh, what's the uh, the next big thing? And just uh, just talk to them. You know, whether it's you know once or twice a year or more often, you, you, you still need to have um, a relationship because you know I've done deals before um, where it just happened to be the person in front of me <laughs> that I was talking to that we just finished another deal and they called me to ask me a question about something. It's like, what else you have? And I'm like, well, I got this deal. I just haven't really done much work on it yet. And then it turns out to be a huge home run for that guy. Yeah, you want to, to think that, you know, that uh, you were going to go to your, your, your best client and give it to that client. But sometimes it just happens to be the person who stayed in contact with you. Your best client yeah. may have, you know, moved on to do something else. You haven't talked to him in a year that you've done the biggest deals with over your career. So, so I would say just staying in constant contact is, is the best method to get the best deals. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. How can like, if, if you're newer in commercial, how can you build the credibility as a new client? Like, how do you build that credibility with the commercial broker? Well, so it's just about uh, being real about what your intentions are. You can look at deals all day long. You can pencil them to death uh, mm -hmm. just because you wanted to look at a at hundred different deals. Just go into it with intentions. If if you're gonna if you're gonna close a deal, then 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 focus on getting that done and uh, getting to the finish line. You got a lot of tire kickers out there. And, and, uh, I mean, 20 years in the business, uh, I can pretty much tell when I, you know, talk to the person for the first time on the phone, what, what's going to happen with that deal. And uh, sometimes it may be short sighted, but for the most part, I feel like my, my gut is, is all just about right on. You know, if you're, if you're talking to someone, you can tell what, what they're looking for. They'll call you and try and get as much information out of you as they can for that one deal. And they just kind of <laughs> disappear. So you're just, you know, experience kind of, kind of says it all. Uh, in commercial real estate, you can be working on six deals, and there's no way to tell which one's going to get the finish line. But you have to work them all equally the same. The same thing with your clients; you have to give them all all that uh, all that attention. But there's there's no way to tell. As much as you want to put into it and say this is the deal that's going to work for your client, there's 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 never any guarantees. You just have to do the best job you can. There's always there's always uh, opportunities to to do better or do worse. You just have to continue to stay focused. Yeah, expanding on that a little bit, you've got to expect your client to do some of the research themselves instead of laying on you to do everything for them. Because I would think that would get annoying after a while if you had a client that was like, well, I like it, but what about this and what about that? And it's like, go work your network and figure it out if it's, it's you know, true. You want to help as much as you can, obviously, but yeah. you're not underwriting the deal for them. Not underwriting all. the deal for them. You can't do it from, from, a to, from A to Z. I mean, quite frankly, it, it's uh, a, another uh, mentor that I had broke it down to as simple as it's a matching game. You got a buyer, you got a seller, you just got to match the two together. <laughs> it's, it's, it could be that simple. I mean, people want to make it out to be, you know, something much more complicated than that. And, and many deals are, believe me, but sometimes if you're, if you're out there just looking for a, you know, a good investment, it could be just finding the right deal to match with your, your needs. So it's the matching game. Yeah. And uh, fortunately on, on my team, I have a master at that. Uh, he, he can find uh, the match better than, than anybody. You know, there'll be a piece of property I haven't thought about for three years and we'll come across somebody who's got a need. And he's like, 
oh, don't forget about this one over here. And you're like, oh, my God, I, I totally <laughs> just completely dropped off my plate. I don't know how you remember that. But uh, I think having a, a good team uh, to work with as well, going back to your question about uh, how do you pick somebody. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily want to pick the, the one-off guy who worked completely by himself. I mean, it, um, I think it's, it's been said that if, if you don't have a, an assistant, then you are one. Uh, yeah. And how can you be effective at being you know, the broker and being the assistant and being the, you know, everything, the underwriter and everything else? So a good team is actually, um, it's a necessity to have people to work with, I think. And I've always been more of a team player. Uh, but the team I have t together now, we've got a, a great land specialist and Scott Stevens and my, our master at uh, matching the needs up for our clients, uh, Scott Green. And then my wife works with me, keeping us all uh, together on the, on the right path. So she retired after 23 years at the bank, Bank of America, and uh, she's using her skill set to, uh, to uh, make us better than we were before. More efficient. More efficient. I've had a lot of people ask me, what's it like working with your wife? I was like, well, I love it, but if you ask her, <laughs> I don't know what she's going to say. Just don't let me be around you. will get a real answer. Yeah, it's it's chaos. Yeah, it can be chaos at times. <laughs> but uh, but I'm thankful to have the team that I have, and, and uh, that's a, an essential part of, of uh, working for your clients is having a team that works well together. Yeah, hats off to those guys. I love them. They're, you couldn't have a better team. Oh, man, everybody's selfless too, and that, which is, is hard to find in, in, uh, in real estate. These guys are all selfless. They're after what, what's best for the client and the deal and not for themselves. So I've seen them take some really hard knocks for themselves just to get out of the way to, to make it better uh, for the client. So that's 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 the most probably rare thing that you'll find uh, probably in any sales position, but I would say probably definitely in, in this particular market. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more? I know before you mentioned sometimes being in contact is the best way to get off-market deals. Can you give any other advice for how to get pocket listings from brokers that you're building a relationship with? Well, I mean, I have some folks who just, I'm not their broker, but they'll just ask me, hey, well, what do you know? How can, how can you direct me to, to this area? And, and there's, you know, I would say talk to your, your financial advisor might be working with some folks who are, who are aging out of a deal and you're not going to know it. Uh, your financial advisor uh, is going to have connections that you don't have. Same thing with attorneys. Attorneys are always the, the first to know about deals when they're going south because people are trying to protect themselves. Uh, so what do they do? They go to their attorney. And so the attorneys are going to, know what deals are going to be coming on the market as well. So you got to you know, kind of reach out to, to others, uh, not just, not just in real estate. You know, sometimes the, the, the broker might be the, the fifth person to know about the deal. So, um, yeah, talk to folks who, who are specializing in a neighborhood. If you specialize in a neighborhood, but your plate is full, you've got all you can handle. So, so stay with that town to that person who's like, um, they're the expert in that area. They're always willing to help. You know, you guys are a good example of that. I mean, you're putting on podcasts where you're really helping people be informed and in how not to make mistakes. And they're taking away you know, really gold nuggets of, of information that they wouldn't have gotten from, you know, the, the guy in the cubicle beside them. You know, you, they can only get it from from listening to others and gaining from their experience. So uh, does that kind of answer your question a little bit, I guess? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So on top of that, what... We, we already talked about growing a team, but do you see investors work as a team as well? Like if you have, if you're working with a client, do they have a good team themselves? And is that important? Yeah, that's, that's hugely important. And usually that's the folks who have worked together before uh, where it looks great. So it's the, it's the first deal they do together where it looks completely discombobulated. <laughs> and it is, I mean, they're just getting to know each other and they, they don't have a sense of security yet. So you got to be true to the people that you've done business with before and had successes with. I've seen people put together deals, I think Lester... Burnett, he was, he had a, he had a, 
was like a street cleaning. He would clean the parking lots of, of retail centers, you know, back in the eighties. And that was what he was doing. And then he loved, he loved fishing. So that's what he did. He, you know, he worked and he, and he had his hobbies on this, on the side, but he would see an opportunity and then he put together people with uh, the ability, the, the means, the, the money and put together a group of investors. And then uh, he made sure that that thing was going to succeed before he put that group together financially. Uh, and then when that group succeeded, they were so willing to go to the next deal because they knew that he was going to make sure that deal succeeded. And he, I don't know how much he was worth when he passed, but I mean, he had stuff all over, you know, three different states and, you know, multiple generational wealth, but all started because people trusted him to make sure that deal was going to happen. And the key to it was that that first deal you do with your group has got to be successful. And then you're going to have automatic players for your next deal. You put a deal together and you're, you're, you're not really prepared for it. You're just hoping it's going to work and you don't have a backup plan and they all lose money. And then you're never going to talk to them again, probably. It's going to be scorched earth between the two of you <laughs> and, uh, and no one's going to be happy. So, and, you know, make sure that whoever's investing with you is not investing beyond their means. You don't want people to borrow off their kids' college funds to potentially make money. You just have to make sure that they can still sustain themselves without it. And then I think you'll probably have a, a less stressful partnership. Yeah. I'm always surprised by that, too, because sometimes, well, you know how this goes. You deal with folks all the time. It's, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want to pinch this guy or, like, put him in a, in a, you know, a bad place. And then... Sometimes those are the guys that have more than you ever thought about, you know? It's <laughs> you crazy. Don't, you don't ever know. You really don't. Yeah. The guy, and even the guys that I know are successful, I'm still surprised all the time about how, how much more successful they were than I ever knew that they were. And they're, they're quiet about it. So yeah, you just have to be patient and work with them and learn as you go. Do you have any advice you'd give to an investor who's buying a new asset for the first time? I know you mentioned like networking, getting to know, being an expert in it, but any specific advice you'd have? Uh, for the first time, yeah. um, just know that it's not going to be perfect, uh, that your your every the first deal you do is probably not going to be your most successful deal. I hope that it is. Uh, I hope you've done everybody your homework and that you've done your own research and that you're completely satisfied with it and uh, that it turns out to be uh, you know a good good you know good investment for you. Uh, but don't be discouraged if your first one doesn't. I see people get discouraged sometimes because it didn't turn out to be that home run. Um, I've got some investments that are simply paying themselves down. And some and folks, you know, there's folks out there that that's a complete, that's a complete, uh, that's a bad investment just com because it's paying for itself. They want 20% returns and they'll get paid out you know, monthly or quarterly. I've got investments where I, I might not, you know, I haven't taken a dime out in 10 years and I don't care. It's just an asset that, that continues to me. It's like a little piggy bank. I mean, somebody else is filling up the piggy mm -hmm. bank and it's not me. Uh, and it's not my money going into it. And in 10 years, it's completely paid for. Um, and I've got assets that I got for $100,000 that now people are giving me $400,000 offers for. Uh, and that's those ones that I haven't taken any money out of it. Yeah. And uh, I don't care. It's just going to be in the path of growth. So not every deal looks the same either. You, know, you, you see one with fantastic returns immediately, and then you've got others that are long-term. You just got to be okay with what your investment type was. Are you okay with you know, just getting paid when you, when you sell it? Or do you need to get paid? Do you need to have income monthly? So you got to pick your, pick your strategy and see what works for you. Do you have any like favorite deal you've done that you can talk about? <laughs> that I can talk about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there's so many that it, it's, it's too hard to pick one. I think, I mean, I, I wish I had thought about that before I, before <laughs> I, I came to see you guys. We got to keep you uh, guessing on some of this. Yeah, you know? definitely keep me guessing. I mean, 
I mentioned, uh, briefly mentioned one where a guy came in, uh, Gary Workman, uh, who I uh, mentioned earlier, uh, worked for Senco. They developed apartments, and that Gary and I had never done a deal together, but I had somebody call me and say, I want to buy a multifamily. Well, Gary uh, was in that group that, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the group now, of First Guardian Landmark, uh, I believe it is now. They ch changed names uh, years ago. Anyway, um, he said, call call Tim. Tim will know what's going on. Well, I, I called Tim. Tim said, yeah, I've got this one asset. And then I put my group together with it. It was like, they said it was 60% occupied. It turned out it was like 40% occupied. <laughs> uh, it was bad. It, 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 was, it was bad. But my, the, the guy that I sold it to ended up you know, filling it up very quickly and turning it and then making better deals and better deals. So it was good to see his success um, as he as he you know got in. That was his first four where he, that particular client had started out by uh, buying individual houses. And then he got up to like 40 houses. He's like, you know what? I need to be in multifamily now because I don't feel like driving all over town uh, for each individual tenant. If I've got 100 tenants on one property, it's going to be easier for me. And so he really, he really enjoyed that, and he parlayed that into to several other deals. And you know, he helped me out on on deals uh, that that uh, came to me later. So it, it all kind of comes around full circle. You help you help others out as you can, and they'll end up helping you out. And then sometimes they they go different directions, and and that's okay too. So you just got to be willing to to roll with the punches, as they say. Yeah. So that was that was a, a neat deal. Uh, that uh, there, there's so many more. Each deal is unique. That's one thing that I love about the business. Each deal is just so fantastically unique. The, the reason I got the, the partnership where I am is because we got a fantastic uh, deal negotiated with our, our current lo location where we have been for you know since 2003, and uh, and so that led into uh, being a partner in a deal. Just because I made sure they got the best deal they could for themselves, they said, "Hey, great, good for you," and we need that kind of advice going forward. And so that turned out to be a, a life-changing deal as well. So the life-changing deals are awesome to remember. The, the, the little deals that, that was somebody else's first, very first uh, foray into to real estate, those are, those are fun to watch unfold as well. Um, and I, I get the most enjoyment out just making sure people are, are protected in whatever their, whatever their deal they're, they're going into, um, that they've got the right advisors, that they've got the right plan going, in, going into a deal. To me, that's the most fun. Yeah. I know you've seen this before. I think it's really interesting for being a commercial real estate broker. A lot of times you will get a piece of a deal just by being the broker of it. Like you can throw your commission back into it. And I think, yeah. I think people that aren't in that business or don't know much about it, I think that's one of the neatest things about your business. I do love that. Uh, I mean, uh, you, wanna ha you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket uh, it, just in real estate. I mean, I think you need to be in the stock market as well. But every opportunity I get to put my money back into a deal, uh, I always will, you know, I can't imagine a situation where I've been offered and I haven't done it. Uh, we just did one down in uh, Plaza Midwood. We we, had, we uh, identified, our team identified a property that was going to tax foreclosure. And it was, I mean, it's one of those rare deals where, I mean, the equity in it was so much more than the tax. The tax was like 75. The deal was worth probably you know, 700. Wow. And then, you know, we happened to you know, put together a, a deal where it worked very quickly. And then that deal uh, was actually sold to a developer recently and I just decided, Hey, I'll just leave that in. And, uh, and now it's going to be from a class D to a class a, uh, with basically the same dollars that I started out with. So it's, wow. It's pretty, wow. Pretty nice. You're still in it. Still in it. Yeah. That's incredible. I figured I would stay in that one. And I'm a, I'm a low, a very local uh, broker. My mom actually grew up on a street, two streets over from that. So it's from where that property is where I just reinvested. So I thought that was kind of cool that uh, you're able to, be close to where your where some of your roots were too. So, yeah, always fun stuff. Yeah, it's a win-win then. It is a win-win. <laughs> that is a win-win. 
I'll have to actually. Uh, I haven't even told my mom yet that I did that one. I have to go back and tell her. Yeah. Uh, I guess. I guess we're all. Don't forget to say Happy Mother's Day, folks. So. Uh, That's right. Call your mom this Sunday. Sunday. Go ahead and order the flowers. Whatever. <laughs> if you. It's maybe too late to make reservations, but try. You're ahead of the game. Yeah, got to be ahead of the game. That's Very right. organized. Sure. I think we should open it up now. See um, if there's anything you can tell us about. We we're out of you know set questions, but we'd like to talk a little <laughs> bit about. What you're interested in next year, upcoming year? Are there things you're you're going to try and focus on? Like, I think Jim and I are always coming up with ideas and trying to focus on certain asset types or just ideas. What do you have? Oh, what's coming up? What's on the on the horizon? Uh, you know, for me this year, I'm looking at just growing my my business as much as anything, preparing for other investments. I want to make sure that our, our team is ready to to make investments together, uh, so that we can capitalize on some opportunities when they arise. So you like like invest yourselves? Yeah, invest ourselves. That's cool. Yeah, I think I think as as a team we should we should be looking at real estate. I mean, look at a lot of the the folks in my business. They get together and and uh, pull their money and and make deals that change their families' lives. I just want to be able to do that for our group so that they've uh, got out for the opportunities and you know that way they can have all the time that they need for their their families as well. Uh, I think if I'm going to be investing in anything, if I'm looking at a particular asset, I'm, I think I'm probably going to look at flex space or industrial, small industrial buildings, uh, five, ten thousand, twenty thousand square feet. It's probably going to have my eye on for the next year or two. See what see what happens there. Uh, I think that's where probably the most growth potential is. There's still opportunities there where the the rents are, are low enough now that you can re-tenant a building and get uh, really increase the the return on the investment for that particular product. Yeah. Office is a lot harder. You got to put a lot into it. People want first class upfits and, and so forth. So I'd like to be in a situation where I have more control over it. And I, th- I think that that's going to be provided by the, the industrial investments this year. Well, certainly that zoning itself affords you the most flexibility of, of any future expansion or pivoting you want to do too, right? That's right. That's right. It's less and less industrial zoning around town. Yeah. So if you have it, keep it. Um, I've actually worked for clients before. They've come in and said, hey, the, they're trying to rezone my I-2 land, and, and uh, is that okay? And, of course, I always have to tell him, absolutely not. So, <laughs> so I haven't made friends on certain sides of the, the, the counter on that. But, <laughs> excuse me, but at the same time, you got to make sure your client's protected. So that, that piece of property is still still standing there and, and uh, still protected. doing well. It's protected, yeah. yeah. It's still I-2. Yeah, no. they need your sign on that. Yeah, no. protected by Matt. Anyway. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, as you say that, I'm visualizing it's actually on 77. <laughs> if I was going to have a sign. All right, let's do it. That's the one. Let's do it. That's right. Uh, we'll have to talk about that one off. That's my nugget for you today. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, we do. We did put our uh, sign up on 77 recently at Woodlawn. Um, so yeah, that's uh, one place to see it right now is uh, on 77. All right. But uh, that's that's kind of my advice as to what which direction I would go yeah. for, for now as, as an investment class. Can you talk about flex warehouse space? Like, I love that asset type. Um, how far out from like uptown are you willing to look at? Me personally, I think anything uh, within an hour drive of Charlotte is okay. probably probably still a good investment. The closer in t- the closer in the town, the better off you sure. are. Uh, and there's still parts of town where there's still some uh, some opportunities. Yeah. Um, what about intersection-wise? You want to be close to a major thoroughfare too, like an 85 or 77 or 45. For flex space, yeah, you you don't want to be too far from a, from a highway. I mean, once you've gone 20 miles off the highway, you're yeah. you're probably in the probably looking for the <laughs> for the wrong uh, asset class there. If that's what you want to invest in, you do need to be close to uh, to thoroughfares. Um, doesn't have to be on 
on a main road, but you certainly have to be close enough to get there within you know, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, easy enough. Easy enough, yep, yep. Uh, so yeah, I think that would be great uh, flex space. Flex yeah. space. I think there's there's still an opportunity here for for flex space. I would you know I've got a few locations that uh, that I can think of. Independence and 45. There's still a little bit of opportunity there. I think on the on the west side there's still opportunity there uh, where you can get some good good deals. You just got to be willing to to go in the areas that are that are uh, you know not corner of Main and Main. Sure. And uh, and get the get the the better. And, the better prices right now. That's what I would, what I would be going after. What's the ideal unit square footage for something you would invest in? Yeah, um, if you were going to build it, let's say, what would you break down the square footage for each space? I would think I'd love to have a, a ten thousand square foot building where I could uh, take it down to you know two thousand twenty five hundred square feet mm. uh, all the way down, uh, get two two twenty five hundred square foot units on each side of the building. Or, that's the good thing about flex space. It could be a ten thousand square foot user, or you could you know cut it up and have. Um, the 2,000 square foot users that you're looking for. So right. I wouldn't go you know, too big. Um, there's there's bigger ones out there. They can go to the to the you know inter, to the national type properties for that. Uh, I think if you can you can even find a piece of land and build it cheaply right now. Yeah, I just, I, that's my theory. Is I'd like to build some more of those this year. Yeah, I, I just sold a little piece of dirt off North Trine Street. It was very very affordable. It was probably between Sugar Creek and Eastway. And guy just needed it for his own for his own use, and uh, bought a little patch and uh, threw up his own building. You can what, build it for fifty bucks a square foot, maybe. Yeah. So I think that that's a great way to get into to real estate. If you build it and tenant it yourself, you you've just got yourself a great education. <laughs> you can't yeah. lose on that deal. <laughs> that's a no lose situation when you're gonna yeah. you know owner occupy it. That's right. That's right. Plus your lending, geez, your lending is is minimal. Oh yeah, I mean, you get the best rates. You do. Owner occupying commercial real estate. That's that. Anytime you talk to a lender, they, what do you like the best? And every single time it's owner occupied. <laughs> owner occupied. Owner yeah. occupied. What do you that, specialize in? Owner occupied. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you can specialize in? Yeah, that's their first question. If you call them for a loan, is it owner occupied? Yeah, it's yeah. got to be at least 51% owner occupied. Right. Every time. So, yeah. And and obviously it's important. We didn't touch on it much, but having a, a good lender in place as well. I have some good friends in lending that, uh, have gone along. I've, they've helped me out along the way for sure. We had a great one on the earlier podcast, actually. All right. Yeah, he was a generalist. When you started out, you said, you know, I'm a generalist for for real estate, and that that's what he prides himself on. He has. It's rare to see that flexibility in a, bank, a commercial banker too, where they don't just it, it do, is you know owner occupied commercial real estate, or they only do you know industrial hospitality. Yep, I've uh, I'd, I I would have to say I'm going to have to get his number from you. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to look at. Yeah, I'll have to share databases with you. I'll. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Let's open those Rolodexes. Let's open up. those Rolodexes. <laughs> I have one guy on my team. He keeps telling me, "What am I? Why don't you just give me your Rolodex?" I'm like, "Sure, here it is." He's not going to know how to read any of it, but he can have it. Yeah, Jim may not know what a Rolodex is. So I have <laughs> before to my it. time. I, think I saw it in a movie, like Glenn Gary or Ross or something. Uh, well, I can share it with you. I'm that old now. <laughs> Finally. You guys have been great. I appreciate you yeah. guys having me on. And yeah, and, uh, we'll we'll wrap it up. This has been a lot of fun. And uh, and it, can you talk to folks about um, how they can get a hold of you if they want to reach out to you? Sure. Uh, for for better or for worse, you can uh, Google uh, Matthew Hagler. But uh, my uh, direct contact number is seven zero four four zero eight 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 six seven. Again, seven zero four four zero eight 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 six seven. And my email address is m Hagler m h a g l e r at kwcommercial.com. 
So All right. hopefully that makes it easy. And we have a website we can check out for you, for sure. your team or for the business? Sure, sure. Um, I would have to... Uh, <laughs> he's going to his Rolodex. I need my Rolodex in order to do that. Yeah, we're at uh, www.kwcommercialbamc uh, kw.com. Okay. So I'll do that again. Uh, www.kwcommercialbamc.kw.com. All right, cool. Perfect. And we'll have all of your contact info in the show notes in case anyone wants to click it. Very good. Well, appreciate you guys. You guys are awesome. And I uh, hope to be doing some more deals with you very soon. Counting on it. Likewise. All right. All right. Thank thanks. You. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Who Knows Real Estate. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and check out our show notes for the guest contact info as well as ours. Be sure to look for our next episode. Thanks.